So glad that you're joined us together today. It was funny, Jim mentioned it. I heard it this week for the first time this year, and that was that snow is in the forecast. And I just decided that I'm not ready for that. So, uh, so I suppose I'm in a state of denial. You know, when we lived in Texas, there was this time where they, they got this like little sugar coating of ice, and everything was cut down or canceled for two days straight. And I'm not exaggerating when we lived there. Now, uh, some of you know I grew up in the Dayton area, and they take care of snow a little differently than you rugged Northeast Ohioans. The first time that after we'd moved here, it was a pretty intense winter uh, several years ago. And I remember the first day that I had multiple appointments, and we'd gotten about a foot of snow that, that day. And I just was, was positive that, that every one of those appointments would be canceled. But I learned a lot about rugged Northeast Ohioans that day. And that was not only did everybody show up for their appointment, they were early and no one even complained about the snow, right? Like, snow, what's the big deal? We got this. Now, when I was growing up in the Dayton area, we, one of my, my favorite things was my pickup truck. I was 16 years old and uh, I learned something that day though, and that was that you need to have really good tires when you're driving on snow, especially when you're driving a pickup. And uh, it was a beautiful snowy day, uh, came home from school and my parents have this, this wonderful hill that goes down to this tree that was in the middle of a driveway and I uh, did not pay attention. Uh, I hit the brakes, and if you don't have enough tread on your tires, your, your car can turn into a sled. I'll just tell you that. And I, I went solidly into that tree in my beautiful truck. The bumper dented solidly. No airbag deployed, which is awesome. Uh, but I can just remember that pain. Some of you who, who have experienced this before know the pain of me walking into the house knowing that I have to tell my dad that I just put a dent in the front of his car. And so as I'm rehearsing, I'm trying to figure out how to do this, who to blame, what's the story. I, I look over to the right and on his big, beautiful Lincoln Town car, there's a dent in the same exact place. He had hit the same tree just a few minutes earlier. Uh, and I went, yes. <laughs> you know, there's this, this phrase that the Lord Jesus warned us about. He said that there's going to be a broad road that leads to destruction. It's a, it's a really interesting phrase. And this morning as we study God's word, we're going to see a group of people in the book of Acts that get caught up in that broad road. And as we read this, this historical event, you're going to see a group of people who all of them are just moved into this momentous event where they're, they're, they're ready to, for blood. They're, they're moved towards this, this action. And it's just this, almost this symbol of what's so common in the world that we live in today. Jesus warned us. He said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. But, but the Lord Jesus also said, but narrow is the road that leads to life. And this morning, as we study God's word, we're going to see a group of believers that were on that path to life. And for them, it was going to require them to do it the hard way. I used to, to work at a hotel and, and one of my, my co-workers used to always say, take it easy. God, take it easy. Some of you might say, take it easy. Take it easy. And that was always his response to everything. Hey, Brennan, take it easy, you know. And when I study God's word, actually, what I see is just the opposite of that. For, for Christ followers, often what the Lord asks of us is to be isolated, 
He asks for us to be people who are willing to go it alone. At times, we're people who swim. We have to swim upstream. We have to choose the more difficult path. And this morning, we're going to see that it takes courage. Sometimes it's lonely. It requires us to, at times, be people who really feel like we're just doing this because God said so. And I want to encourage you that this next slide, this image is one of many you've seen before. You've seen the story before. There's, there's an accident in Tennessee that had over 160 cars that slid together on black ice just a few years ago. And, and you can picture how it happens, right? Like the, there's just this slippery slope that's broad that, that, that it just keeps moving forward. And I just want to challenge you this, this point this morning. Think of the tire treads on your car that they're designed to grip. They're designed to cut into something. And, and for us to understand God's way, it's going to at times require us to be people who follow the path of most resistance. In other words, the path of most resistance is the path to life. In my original notes, I had the, the path of least resistance struck through because that's what we seem to want to live in, right? We want to live in the, the easy way. We want to have things go our way. We want to have it be simple and organized and our needs be met when we want them to be met. And I prayed about Job, his word, like, Lord, you, you got this right. I, I, oh, you're not meeting my needs in the way I want you to meet them. But instead of this, I, I think what the Lord's challenging us this morning is he's going to show us this, this incredible movement of the way that, that the, the gospel is, being, is spreading out around the world and, and there's this disruptiveness to it and it's going to lead ultimately to people who are following the Lord's leadership and they do so with courage and strength. The first point this morning is the hard path the one that the Lord requires you and I to be on if we're believers in the Lord, it requires both courage, think of that word, that, that I have the strength to take on what's next even when I don't know what's next. And it requires strength. It requires us to be people who pursue the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me in the book of Acts to Acts chapter to 19. And we're going to pick up in verse 23. God's on the move. I love this book. It, it encourages me so much, even as we watch the events of the world go around us, realizing that we're not in control, but just find myself humbly sitting back and seeing that the Lord is in control. The hard path requires courage and strength. Paul and his friends really seem to understand this. In verse 23, it says this. It says, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Uh, that sentence summarizes an awful lot of what was happening in the ancient world. I want you to catch this. If you've been studying this book together with us, as the gospel started to spread, it's important for us to understand that the gospel was changing everything. Literally, people were losing their jobs because the economy was changing, because Christians were basically looking at those idols that were a part of the world everywhere in the ancient world, and they just realized they're just trinkets, they're garbage, they don't represent anything. And it disrupted the economy. Last week, we looked at a time where millions of dollars worth of magical books that were just evil, demonic, empty, that they were just burned up, right? They were given away. They were, they were, they were released because of the fact that they were understood for what they were. And, and now this way 
of the Lord Jesus Christ is just causing disruptions everywhere. And the text, when it says this, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, it's kind of an understatement. It was, what we read earlier is it's, it's literally turning the world right side up, but to the world it felt like they were turning the world upside down. And, and I want to just remind you of a couple other passages in scripture that talk about the way. The Lord Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's our guide. He's our source. He's our hope. He's the one who's blazing the trail in front of us. Come, follow me. Love this passage in Matthew 7, but it's haunting. It says in this in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. For some of you, you feel like you're isolated a bit in your place of work. You feel like at school, you might be the only person who seems to care about the things you care about. And the Lord Jesus knew that day was coming. And, and, and it ought not to be something that scares us away from this, this adventure of our faith, this, this movement of God. It shouldn't scare us away from it. Instead, we need to just understand that the Lord has accurately and confidently prepared us for this path that's ahead of us. He, he's promised us that he's provided for us everything that we need for this, this next right step journey that he's given us. But he warns us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That, that image of the multiple wreck, car wreck, it's a, these vehicles just slamming together, that they're just, just on this, this path of destruction and it happens almost instantly. They wouldn't be on this path if they felt like it was gonna lead to destruction. But it's a crowded path and it leads a wake of destruction. The Lord warned us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. So we see there's only one way to live, this way is narrow. Sometimes it's lonely. Sometimes it feels isolated. But, but this is what I fear, is that I fear for some of us, we, when we even read historically that the church had such an impact on the economy that for some of us, we're walking an extremely fine line where we want the world to appreciate us and to understand us as being so much like them but, but instead of allowing there to be a distinction between us and them, we, we end up finding ourselves enjoying the same things they do, living the same way that they do, that there's no distinction between the two of us. And the warning here is that leads to destruction. When we lived in the Bahamas, one of my favorite experiences was fishing. And we fished for a particular fish called the mahi-mahi sometimes. And this would evolve in, uh, some of you are like, mahi-mahi, that sounds like fish tacos. Yes, that's how you know it. Uh, and, uh, but uh, mahi-mahi is actually a giant fish sometimes. And it's a fish that requires a reel and it's a, it, it trolling and it's, it's a really fun fish to catch. But one of the things that's fascinating about it is that it's a schooling fish as well. And I've experienced this multiple times where when you catch the fish, as you're reeling it in, if someone knows what they're doing, they'll tell you, leave that fish in the water. What? Leave the fish in the water? Well, what happens is that it's friends who see that fish near your boat think that he's found something pretty good. And so they school together around the fish and I've watched it happen. They're, they're just stuck right in that pattern with everyone else. And, and, and what the evil fishermen do like me in the boat is we just keep catching them, 
We keep taking them away. We keep, keep stealing them away from what was just that pattern. I think that's the image that the Lord Jesus is warning us about. We, we live in a broken world. Would anybody argue against that right now? We live in a broken world, and as Christ followers, often what we choose to do is to, to go right up to what it looks like to be just like them. And, and so it, what's fascinating in the text is their economy was disrupted because of the fact that Christians were functioning with an understanding that we're not the same as the world around us. I just wonder for a second if that's what's happening today. I just wonder for a minute if that's, that's what's happening in the society that we live in. Are, are we people who've conformed? There's a fascinating word here for the word conform. It means to form according to the pattern or the mold. Some of you played with Play-Doh like I did as a kid growing up, and you squished it into molds, and it could kind of be whatever you wanted it to be, right? Like you could make it into just about anything, any shape, and I think this pattern or mold is what the Lord Jesus is warning us against it. And, and, and maybe a better word for it is, is like the old coin minters who would, would take a, a stronger metal and go to a softer metal like silver and they would pound an image upon it. You can find ancient coins in the day. And in fact, that's what this man in God's word, we're gonna see his name was Demetrius, was probably all about. He was a man who was a professional in verse 24. He was in charge of a trade group of people and these silversmiths would make trinkets. You can go to museums in Ephesus, I've done it, or you you can see the coins they minted. You can see the trinkets that they made. And here this man, Demetrius, we're told, was a silversmith, a man who made shrines of Artemis. He brought no little business. It brought no little business to the craftsmen. This, we've mentioned last, last week that this, this place was a uniquely religious place, but also one of the, the wonders of the ancient world. People came from all around the world to come to worship at the temple of Artemis. And it says in verse 25, these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. And he said, men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. That, that's an awesome verse, by the way. Like the, the world is standing back and they're seeing the message of the gospel. And again, it wasn't because Paul was so eloquent. He was so smart. It was because of God's message that's being communicated to them. And they, they understood something that these people could articulate, but they really didn't understand, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Imagine the arrogance of this, this man who sculpts gods that people worship, that he misunderstood the divine power of the living God. Verse 27, and there is a danger, not only that the trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificent, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard of this, they were enraged. They were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You know, in those days, we're told that there were some 33 formal places of worship to Artemis. And this worship was one that was hedonistic. It celebrated birthrights and rituals, sexual. It was one that, that was celebrated by religious people 
pilgrims that came from all over the world. And uh, Persanius, who wrote in the middle of the second century AD, he claimed that the Artemis cult was the most widely followed one in the ancient world. He, that this Artemis was receiving glory, by the way, that I believe was designed to be given to my God. And here, what happens is that these individuals, they know that this is celebrated. They know that, that this is something that was valuable and they wanted to keep their hands on it. And we assume that at this time, there was this festival of Artemis that was happening in this town of Ephesus where, where people were known to surround themselves with practices, drunk, they're carousing, ritual flings with prostitutes. This happens for a month long of all these these physical celebrations that were happening in the city. And now the, this, this recognition that their sacred Artemis, their little G God, was at risk of being considered no God at all. And, and what, what I see flow from these verses that we just studied is that, is that first of all, that the gospel changes the way that we think. It allows us to see, they, they were celebrating, the, the history says that there was some kind of an asteroid that fell from the sky that looked a little bit like a goddess. Do you guys remember the, the person who found the picture of Jesus on the toast? Do you guys remember that? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You'll have to Google it if you didn't see it. And uh, uh, like we, we can find things and things that are kind of weird, can't we? Like we can, we can see in things. We don't even know what this thing was that fell from the sky. It might look a little bit like the goddess that's behind the words there, but they celebrated it. They celebrated it as being something divine. And, and, and then when the gospel comes in, like literally what, what Demetrius is saying is that Christians just saw right through it. It's just a fraud. It's just a stone. It's empty. It doesn't hold any life to it. You know what else is important? The gospel ought to impact the way that we invest and spend our money. The gospel is so radical that at this time, they just understood we don't need this. This isn't a part of our lives. And then the last thing that I believe the gospel should change, and it was happening already, and this is so important, is it should change what we worship. Uh, another way to work at, look at worship, there's an ancient Saxon word that we, we get our word worship from, and it was worth-ship. And I want you to think of the word worship and this, this idea that, that when I worship something, I give it worth in my life. And, and so we have this example in Acts of the people standing back and giving worth to a goddess that was no god at all, and they were worshiping her. They're celebrating her. They, they place value in it. In fact, they're going to be emotional. They're going to be passionate about it. And I confess to you, there's times when I worship in the context of other believers, and I think this would put us to shame. Because they're celebrating that something that's dead. And at the same time, what the Lord has given us is the privilege to celebrate the one who's alive, right? That he's given us the privilege to worship the one true God who's alive, to give worth to his glory. This goes beyond singing. This goes beyond our words. This impacts our actions. This means we lift his name up and we give him glory. So there was a group of people who were choosing to worship the created rather than the creator. And this leads us to the second point this morning, and that is the hard path. The path that leads to life is one that requires great discernment. We have so much access to the things of the world today. You turn on that computer, you lift up that cell phone, you, you, you walk into the world that's around us. There's just so much stuff around us. But I believe the Lord has called us to be people who have discernment, 
To be able to say, no, that's not for me. Yes, that's for me. This is, this is what God wants for me. And the Apostle Paul is going to model for us in his word an incredible amount of discernment. And I want you to catch this. This is really encouraging to me. That, that part of what's going to happen here is that it's going to come out of his friends. That, that true relationship is going to help the Apostle Paul navigate what decisions he needs to make. It says this in verse 29. It says, so the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus. These are believers, Macedonians, who are Paul's companions in travel. So, so now in this uproar, they, they gathered together these, these Christian believers. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs. Now this verse right there, I just want to pause for a second. This is really encouraging to me. These individuals, these Asiarchs, were not believers, we don't believe. In fact, these were religious leaders of the, the Roman cult of emperor worship. And, and as I read this in my notes, you'd laugh on my Bible, I wrote in there, like, so, so you mean the Apostle Paul had friends that weren't believers? Absolutely. They were friends that weren't believers that loved him so much that they wanted to protect him from being at risk under this mob that's, that's whipped into a fury. <laughs> and I just love the fact that Paul's reputation in the community was so real. It was so positive that they just wanted to protect him. So here, Paul is a man who has unbelieving friends who cared so much about him that they would not allow him to be thrown at the mercy of the mob. So, so Paul's like, let me at him. He, he's looking at this audience and he says, I want to represent the love of Christ. They say, no, wait, Paul, this is, this is not the time. They, they sent um, to him those who were urging him not to venture in the theater. You know, this theater was an incredible place. Some of you uh, will, will watch the Browns play when they play at the first energy stadium that holds about 65,000 people. Uh, this stadium, I visited this in Ephesus, ancient or modern Turkey, and they said that at a minimum it held over 50,000 people. So this massive stadium, one where they had performances and dissertations, communications of legal matters. This all happens right here. And in this, this infamous stadium, they gathered together in the theater. And, and you just get to see the pattern of this. Well, these people are uptight. They don't know what's going on even. They're just off with his head kind of thing. You know, they're just, just screaming. Like we've got to get vengeance and they don't even know physically why they're there. I, I love that Paul walked with such wisdom towards outsiders that they just, they just valued him. They valued him. They wanted to protect him from this mob. And in verse 32, it says, Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know even why they had come together. By the way, can we just pray that this never happens to us in church? It's funny that that word ecclesia is the word for church biblically. And it means called out people. Well, interestingly, it's the same word for this mob. It's a group of people who've gathered together. They don't even know why they've gathered together. Uh, we've gathered together here at church this morning and online because we want to lift up the name of God, right? We want to praise the name of Jesus. We want to honor him with our lives. And this, this, this gathering, they didn't know what they were there for. Verse, verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander whom the Jews had put forth. This name, Alexander, was one who was a Jewish leader. Uh, he may be one later that was warned about in 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20, and later 
Uh, he may have been no, no friend to the Apostle Paul, but he was known as a Jewish man. And we get a hint as to why it probably was not the time for Paul to go. Though that mob was not listening to what he had to say. Let me, let me pull a principle from this. That, that there's a lot of us that work in places daily where we're in the context of people that don't believe the same things that we do. And, and there are times when it's really appropriate for us to pursue them. Paul was a master at that. And there's other times when it's just wise for us to step back and to wait for the right opportunity. Here, I believe that the Apostle Paul was, was counseled wisely, that, that they, they encouraged him to step back because what we see from the experience with Alexander this, this Jewish leader is that that crowd was not listening to anything anybody was saying. It was outside. It says, and Alexander motioning with his hand, he's saying, okay, guys, I want to make a defense to the crowd. Most guess that he's going to say, I, I don't know, Paul, I'm not with Paul, but we Jews are a separate group of believers. Verse 34, but when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours they called out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They, they weren't listening. Some of you will have people who will walk to your door who have been trained formally to advance a faith that's different than the gospel. And they'll come to your door and you'll ask yourself the question, is it time for me to let them in or not? And I'll be frank with you. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I, I sit down with them. Sometimes we'll talk. And, and often what I found is that it's very rare that that person is really coming to have a dialogue, but they're coming to persuade, to push, to, to work through their, the progressions that they have of what they're supposed to say. And at times I listen to it and I just think, oh, they're just trained to dismantle truth not necessarily trained to establish a dialogue. They're not here to dialogue with me. They're here to just convince me. Here, what happens is this mob just, just, just basically turns up the volume and they just say, great as Artemis, great as Artemis. We're just, we're just gonna keep elevating this no God, this little G God. And, and it's fascinating to me that the Apostle Paul, even though he wants to go into it, his friends protect him. I, I hope you have friends like that. I realized I was hanging out with one of my best friends last evening and, and I just realized just what a precious gift it is to have people who love you, that love you enough. We, we talked about things last night as we're walking around with our girls trick-or-treating and as we were doing this, like we were walking around and in that process, one of the things that we were just talking about is our life and accountability and things that matter to us. And, and I, I want you to think about this. Some of you like NASCAR more than I do. I'm not a, I can't pr pretend to be a real NASCAR fan. Um, but, um, but what I can say is that, that it's incredible to me that these guys can drive at 200 miles per hour in close proximity. And some of you might know this. They don't have normal side view mirrors, right? Do you guys know that? And they have mirrors, but they're like, look, you don't, you don't see any side view mirrors. Now, I'm not that great of a driver, but can you imagine taking turns at 200 miles per hour, right? It's incredible. Uh, even just the sound of it, when you watch it on TV, it's, it's fascinating. So how can somebody do that? Well, I was reading about it this week that there's, there's individuals that are up in a booth up above that, that have a bird's eye view. They're just spotters for them. And they're, they're on radio constantly telling them, hey, look out ahead. Okay, you can make that turn now. Watch out for this. There's some debris in the road ahead. And I love this image of the fact that, that that's what it means for us to have real, true Christian friends that love us enough to speak truth to us. Don't go there. That's what we see in the text. Don't go there, Paul. It's not time for you. And they hold him back from this. Later, we're told that Ananias and Sapphira, or Priscilla and Aquila mentioned later on in Romans 16, 4, that, 
that there was a time period when when they were under um, just great risk for their lives. We don't know if this was the, the case. Or later, the apostle Paul described uh, non-believers surrounding him as being like wild beasts. And just, just maybe it was that time in history. But, but as he faced this deadly flow, thankfully, foe, he had friends around him that loved him, cared about him enough to, to protect him. I, I hope you have that. I believe that that's a gift from the Lord, and I encourage you to invest in this. And then what we see, this is great, as the, as the last few verses come together in this section of Acts, what we're going to see is we're going to see a non-believing man stand up and provide an articulate defense for Christians that would be used later to help to protect Christians in the community that they were in for years ahead. It says this in verse 35. And when the town clerk, that's the equivalence of the elected mayor, he finally silenced this crowd, 50,000 people cheering off with his head kind of thing. And then they quieted the crowd and he said, men of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone who fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash for you have brought these men here um, who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of the goddess, of our goddess. Now, now it seems weird that the man who's defending them is a non-believer. And, it, and then he goes on to say in verse 38, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. There are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there's no cause that we can give to justify the commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Luke recorded this in detail, and most scholars believe that it just provides a pathway forward for the early church when it's in the minority in a world that doesn't see things in the same way that... They humbly said, basically, there's laws. We want to honor the laws. We want to do the best we can within the legal situation that we're in and the country that we're in. And what I love about this is that God is there with them. He, he proves himself faithful. He protects them in a mighty way. So, so where I started in the prayer this morning, when I said we, we, we say as a nation in God we trust, right? It's written on our, script, or on our, um, our legal tender, right? It's on our, our money. I just, I just wonder uh, what it would look like for us to be people who truly lived that way. I think there's a lot of people who, who have heard those words, but don't, don't choose to live that way. And, and the pattern of this world is disruptive and destructive. But what I love about this passage is that these, these minority Christian believers that are in a context where religiously they're in a place where, where, where there's so few people that agree with what they believe, but what they do is they trust the Lord. They submit to his will. They, they lift his name high. They're faithful to him and they follow a path that would have felt lonely. It would have required courage. It would have required great strength. But at the end of the day, what they also found themselves doing was to be on path with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were following the footsteps of the God who invented them, who designed them, and had a plan for them. I, I think it's important for us as we look around us today and we, we see slippery slopes all around us. We see paths that lead to destruction, that, that this is just one of those times where we look around us and we see difficult days would just want to encourage you to establish yourself in the Lord, to surround yourself with good 
and godly people who love you enough to speak truth and love to you and to also ask yourself the question, what is so significant in my life that, that, that allows me to distinguish myself from a world around me that, that holds very different values at times than what I do? Is there anything that I'm giving worth to that doesn't deserve my worship? You get it? Is there anything in my life that I'm giving worth to that doesn't deserve worship? We're going to close this, this morning in a, singing a song that is very meaning, meaningful. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about never, never again. And I just want to ask you as we, we close this time out in prayer to join me in asking that the Lord reveal his truth to you. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this morning. And I, I thank you for your, your loving kindness to us that, that you chose to warn us that there is a path that leads to destruction. That that path is natural, it's easy, it's normal. It's, it's one that, that is, is the most, most common path for people to be on. I pray for this, this group of people that have gathered together, some who've, who've come today to join us for the first time, join us online. Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to them about your, your narrow path that leads to life. Lord, we thank you for the cross that stands behind me that reminds us that the Lord Jesus died so that we don't have to die. Lord, that there was, a, there was a sacrifice that was given on our behalf that was the perfect sacrifice to offer us the hope to eternity, the hope to have victory over death, and that we don't worship like those did to that goddess Artemis so many years ago, something that was created by the hands of man or by the creativity of man. But that was the, the very word that was from the beginning sent on our behalf to seek and to save that which was lost. I celebrate that this morning. And I pray that today that we would be people of the hard and narrow path, not ashamed of the gospel, but willing to understand that we travel this journey of life together with you, not alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.